but you have to know your people. What do your people need? You know, it's really all about relationships. It's not about the size of your audience. It really has to be, you have to show up for your people. You have to give them your absolute best and solve their problems and care. Well, hello, hello, <laughs> and welcome back to the Work Your Grass Off podcast. I'm your host, Erica Strong Rodriguez. I'm your co-host, Andrew Strong. This is the sixth take now. <laughs> Today we had the, honestly, I was a little bit starstruck because we had the great pleasure of talking with Jennifer Anderson. No, not Jennifer Aniston. Not Jennifer Calm Aniston, down. yes. She is the founder and the CEO of Kids Eat in Color a page that I had been following on Instagram for a long time because I have picky eaters in my house. I say picky eaters because it's my son and my husband. Hey, your boy's a picky eater. And over the years, I've just really watched her grow. And she took something like her son being a picky eater and turned it into a business. She's still growing it. She's very quickly turning it into an empire full of professionals and um, nutritionists, doctors on her team. It's, it's really impressive and it's really inspiring. She's really been working her grass off. So this episode, we talked about picky eating, why people are picky eaters, something that I really struggle to understand because Andrew's a picky eater, but I'm so far from it. And I felt like this helped me understand. And I think it helped you, Andrew, kind of find some tools to maybe help. Yeah, a lot of people don't understand the severity of picky eating. And they always ask me, you know, oh, so you don't actually, you don't like this, this? It's no, no, no. You don't like any fruits, any vegetables? No, I don't. Um, I can tolerate a few of them, but I don't actually like any of them. I mostly eat meats, pastas, um, breads, things like that. So this is why Dr. Morgan, if you guys listened to that last episode, this is why she said that you have parasites probably. Well, I disagree. <laughs> you might have them. I'm so the opposite. You know, I'm Hispanic. We eat spicy. We eat all kinds of fruits, vegetables. Uh, we eat cow tongue. We eat cow brain. You offer me some cow tongue, I'm going to feel backed in the corner. I'm going to be ready to start bobbing and weaving, throwing some hooks. Okay, but no to be fair, you're going to bob and weave out of a piece of lettuce too. So I will. <laughs> Try me. <laughs> Try me. Come Anybody. At me, bro. Come, Come at, at me, me with your lettuce. Come at me with a head of lettuce, dude. <laughs> Without any further ado, Jennifer, welcome to the Work Your Grass Off podcast. Here's the backstory. So I adopted my son. It's his, it's his son. So when I, when we got married, uh, he was like two, right? Two. Yeah. Well, yeah, when we got married, he was two. He was two. And then I started struggling and we have different eating habits. And also on top of that, I'm Hispanic and we eat a lot of, you know, like beans, right? Salsa, spicy food. Right. And so it was like an adjustment when my son wasn't eating so many things. And I was really struggling. I came across your Instagram page and then I would think, okay, so I have to reduce what I put on his plate, you know, like just a different approach. And then I tried it with my husband too, because he's a picky eater. How did it go? <laughs> It's hard. It's hard when you've made it this far in life being a picky eater. I will tell you, my son's less picky than Andrew because I yeah. was able to kind of go in there and help like I feed him differently, like it's suggested on your Instagram page. And it initially was hard for me to wrap my mind around a picky eater because I don't understand it. Like, what is it that they're not liking or what is it that is scary, scaring them yeah. off? Right. That is a great question. You know, a lot of parents don't even ask that question. They just kind of say, oh my gosh, my 
child is stubborn or my child is defiant or whatever and and they're picky and that's some sort of moral defect but like we teach this in my better bites program it's like we really have to dig down and understand what picky eating is before we can ever hope to help it because otherwise we can't actually work with our kids to help their picky eating right and the same goes with adults i i find that people have even less patience for picky adults they're like well i don't know you just never grew out of it it's your fault but the reality is not all picky eaters in fact 25% of picky eaters will not grow out of it so it's not your fault it's not some sort of moral defect on the part of the child now there's a lot of reasons kids can be picky maybe they had a um, medical issue as a child and they had a bad experience maybe they had reflux and eating was painful maybe they can't chew and swallow safely my guess in your case because both you as the dad and your son has it. You likely had a genetic predisposition to picky eating. We know that there are genetic factors that cause kids to be afraid of new foods. And so if a parent is afraid of new foods, then a child is much more likely to also be afraid of new foods. Doesn't mean there's nothing you could do about it but it does mean that there are things that maybe you couldn't exactly control that are going to affect your child. So you're gonna to have to work extra hard. <laughs> I'm sure that's what you love to hear. And so I would ask doctors and I would ask therapists and they would say, honestly, if you just wanna keep your sanity, you should just let him be picky. But he eats less than five foods. And so I would say he can't only eat five foods. You know, he can't, and so we would, like everyone would be in tears at the end of dinner. Yeah. Know? Cause it was like, you have to just try it, just try it, just try it. Right. And I think the harder we pressed, the less he would try. So mm -hmm. we stopped pressing and there was a time where I was like, you know what? I give up. And then I felt like he started kind of falling through the charts, similar to your story. Then I was like, no, I have to have to feed him different things. I have to try. So what is the first thing for somebody in my shoes to do? Should we portion it out? What should we do? Yeah. So you have, so he's eating five foods. Well, she says five foods. I think that's not exactly true, but it's not a, it's not a whole lot. I mean, he has like, I guess when she says five foods, she classifies like different types of meals where you can evolve chicken as in like just chicken as one food. Um, but he eats other meats too. But I think she means like he eats meats, he eats pastas, five types of foods, not exactly, not actually five exact foods. Okay, so this is a this is a great point. So we have to know the scope of the pickiness, right? So usually when we see kids eating five foods, this means I will eat pizza, I will eat this French toast out of a box, I will eat this pretzel. I will eat apples and I'll eat potatoes. And that's all the child will eat. That's it. They have five foods. So we're so not if, switching it up. Like we're not switching up the cooking. Is that what you're mm -hmm. saying? Like it's exactly well, I'm just saying it's those five foods. Like they will eat them in that form. And, and that's only five foods. If you have a child who is eating chicken, but in five different meals, that's, that's better than the five food scenario. If you have a five food scenario, you absolutely need to get help 
right away because <laughs> it's, it is really serious and your child is at nutritional risk, the less and less foods they eat. So like you said, for a doctor or a therapist to say, oh, it doesn't matter. I don't, first of all, doctors, pediatricians often say that. They'll say, oh, they'll, they'll outgrow it. They'll outgrow it. Well, the reality is not all kids will outgrow it and not all kids will thrive while they're, you know, quote, outgrowing it, whatever that means. So I think it's important to notice if your child is, is picky and they're becoming more picky or you're feeling uncomfortable with the situation, you got to find some help at that point. Um, and so, yeah. So when you're starting, like you said, the first thing you want to do is stop pressuring your child. That is actually the first thing we tell parents in our Better Bites program. And that's our program for the families of picky eaters, because they have been told, don't worry about it. They have been told it doesn't matter. They, they've, they're pulling their hair out at mealtime because it's so frustrating and so worrisome. And they're worried that their kid isn't going to thrive and they're worried about all these things and they really need help. So the first thing we do is we really eliminate that pressure. You do not have to eat it. And it's stressful when you have a culture that you want your child to embrace and enjoy. It's also stressful when you're the parent of the picky eater and you're thinking, I don't want to eat that either. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in fact, I don't want to see it. That stresses me out. We have a lot of parents in our program who who are actually learning to eat new foods because they are having to sit in the presence of foods that they don't like and are not comfortable with for the sake of their child. And they are learning to like it too. So I always remind parents that it's not a forever thing. Even if you're an adult picky eater, you can still learn to like new foods. It'll probably take you longer than it will take the kids, but it is possible. We need to do that program for you. Yeah, I'm back here like, good luck, dude. <laughs> I will say it takes a little bit of desire on the part of the parent. If you're if you're thinking, no way, I'm not going to do it whatsoever. Well, you're an adult, you know, you don't have to do anything you don't want to. No, believe me, I want to, but it's struggle. It's a it's a real struggle, and it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't enjoy it at all. It's kind of embarrassing, really, whenever I have to order food in front of people, and I'm always like, yeah, just uh, hey, meat and cheese only. <laughs> And then I'm like, no, hey, listen, like, seriously, don't put anything else on there because they always do. They don't understand it. Or whenever right. I would eat at um, Erica's families, they're like, you don't want any of this on there. I'm like, no, they're like, so you don't want any of this. I'm like, no, they're like, you're sure you don't want any. Then yeah. they're just looking at her like, what's this guy's problem? Right. It's, it's really tricky. And that's why we are here for parents. Kids Eating Color here is here for parents early on so that you can help your child child get to the point where they can go to a restaurant and order something. They can go to a friend's house and eat something. Because if we don't do anything to help the picky eating, if we keep enabling the picky eating, it can get worse. It can get worse over time. And kids don't necessarily want to be picky, but it's not just an issue of try it and you'll like it. I mean, as you know, as, as the dad and adult, it's not just try it and you'll like it. You're possible that your sensory system, your taste, smell, touch, feel, all this stuff is different than kind of many other people's. And if your sensory system says, oh my gosh, this feels disgusting to me, you know, somebody else can eat it and it doesn't matter, you know, but you feel it and you're like, this is on, on par with eating live slugs. <laughs> 
you know, if that's the case, you can't eat it because your sensory system can't manage it. And we see that a lot in picky eaters. Their sensory system is different than um, kids who, you know, can eat all sorts of foods. They, you know, when they smell something, it's like smell times a thousand. Whereas I may smell it and I'm like, oh, no big deal. Actually, in fact, my son this morning, I, I made him some toast and I put some sprinkles on it. And that was his breakfast. I also put some bee pollen on there, which I know sounds super weird, but he's eaten it plain before. And I was like, oh, just a little something different to put on his toast. But he picked it up and he said, this smells disgusting. And he didn't eat it. And next thing I knew, he'd actually left the house having only drank a glass of milk over breakfast. Um, so he really was determined that that was disgusting. He wasn't going to eat it. Um, now, I don't re necessarily recommend sending your kid to school or camp, you know, hungry, but he did have a snack coming in you know, like two hours that was really substantial. So it probably didn't matter. <laughs> but I think the point is like that smell to him was revolting and he could not eat it. I wonder how much of it is to a certain degree, just uh, mental because, you know, the longer you wait to do something, the scarier it is mm -hmm. because let me tell you a story. We ordered ritual vitamins. Are you familiar with those? No, but so I'm they're like this, this perfect, like vitamin really. So okay. I ordered the gummies for kids. When I got him, I tried it. I was like, oh, it's good. It's kind of fishy at the end, but it's okay. Andrew tried it, hated it. Mm -hmm. Aiden tried it, hated it. So then the vitamin sat there for two months. I didn't know that those expired. So Aiden recently was like, you know what? I really need to start taking my vitamins. And he really, he was like, I don't care that they're gross. I'm, you know, I'm going to eat it. So he goes in the kitchen and he takes three vitamins and he's like gagging, cringing, you know, just having the worst time, but he's, he ate them. So I ate one because I wanted to be there for moral support. Right. I spit it out because it was disgusting. <laughs> it was rancid fish is what, what, what it was. Oh I couldn't, I couldn't chew it. And he ate it even though it was expired by a month. I think it was expired and he ate it because he wanted to. So I right. wonder how much of it is it sensory and how much your beliefs go into play there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a combination. That's also one of the recommendations I make to parents is we have to change the way that we're talking about it. You know, you as, as the, as the dad, who's a piggy eater, right? You're thinking I'm not going to eat that sandwich. And maybe even say that I can't eat a sandwich with anything else on it. Instead of saying that, you could say, I haven't learned to like that yet. Or I don't want to eat that today. Because when you say something like that, in your mind, it tells your mind, hey, that could be different another day. That could be different. So I don't recommend that to your child's face, you say, oh, you're a picky eater. Because you don't want to them to take on this identity that I'm a picky eater, right? Or sometimes parents say, you don't like carrots, so I won't make them. Well, if you're telling your kid you don't like carrots, of course, they're not going to like carrots. I met a kid at my son's preschool a couple of years ago. I'm a picky eater. I don't eat lettuce. 
he just volunteered this to me out of nowhere. And I thought, well, okay, that's, it was so clear that this was part of his identity. I am a picky eater. I do not eat lettuce. Um, so it's going to be really hard for that kid to move on to eating lettuce. But like you said, if a child really wants to do something, they can, if they're given the right environment, you're providing the food, you're not making them do it, but you are providing an environment where you're going to be supportive. Often a child will branch out and they will try something when they know they don't have to, as long as you've been putting it in their mind that they will try it when they're ready, that they aren't a picky eater, that they're just doing what feels right to their body, that when they're ready, they can move on. Your point that the longer kids wait, the scarier, scarier something is, is absolutely true. And that's why when you have a picky eater in your house, you do not want to stop serving the foods that they don't like. You must keep serving them, even if they're just sitting on the table. They don't have to be wasting tons of it. You don't have to put large servings on their plate. You can put one bean on your plate. If that is too freaky, you can leave it on the table in a, you know, a bowl or whatever but they have to keep seeing it. Otherwise it does become very scary. And the less and less foods they see, the more they are scared of all the foods that they're not seeing. That was my question is how often are we offering foods that they don't like? Every meal and snack. Every, meal. every opportunity. <laughs> I mean, every opportunity. It means just in general that you are cooking the balanced meals that you want your family to eat. And you're making sure there's at least one thing that your child is generally comfortable with. We're talking about kids here, which means that they could decide they don't like something on a whim anytime. It could be their favorite food. And they're like, I don't like that today. That's so true. we don't <laughs> so we don't base this rule on your child will always eat it because we never know what they'll do. But we do want to make sure it's a food that we know they're comfortable with. If they're comfortable with chicken, the chicken is there. But all the other things that they're maybe not comfortable with could also be there. So what if I'm making, let's say, chicken fajitas? Okay but it has stuff. So am I pulling the vegetables out to the side when I give it to him and just putting them beside them? Or do I serve it to him as it comes? Yeah. I think pulling them out to the side is a great idea. If your child can tolerate a mixed food, that's awesome. In which case serve them mixed, <laughs> but most picky eaters cannot. I consider mixed foods phase two. So I would not serve them together. And now I realize it's annoying to like, cook them separate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's super annoying. I get it. <laughs> but also if they eat the chicken, then they're getting some of the flavoring and then they're seeing the peppers. But here's the thing. If you never serve, if you never serve it, they're never, ever, ever going to eat it. So you have to start somewhere. So what do I do for Andrew? Do I also put them to the side or? <laughs> so I think the key is the key is no one in the family is excluded from the meal. Dad's not excluded. Mom's not excluded. Picky eater's not excluded. The sibling who eats everything. Nobody is excluded and everybody is allowed to eat what's available on the table. But everybody gets to choose what goes on their plate. There is a little bit of extra cooking when you have a picky eater or two or three in the family. And generally what that means is you're cooking things separately and allowing people to put them together. Okay. You know, for me, a lot of it, it seems weird, but it's just the texture of foods. And for example, whenever I had COVID, I lost my taste mm. like 90%. So I was like, oh, all right, cool. Gosh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and eat some things that I wouldn't normally eat. And uh, I put an orange in my mouth 
and I couldn't really taste it, but just the texture of it started making me mm. like, feel like I was going to gag and I still couldn't eat it, even though I couldn't taste it. And I felt ridiculous. That's yes. the sensory thing, right? That's the sensory thing. That's the sensory thing. Your body cannot take that feeling. And what we need to do is to get your body used to that feeling, right? So I would generally recommend you start preparing oranges for the rest of the family to eat. You are cutting them, you're feeling them through your hands, you're getting used to that texture. We call it food play at Kids Eating Color or in the Better Bites program, we call it food play or food activities, whatever. As an adult though, you're not, your sensory system is never gonna get used to that texture unless you expose your sensory system to that texture. So you'll have to actually touch the orange, which is going to be uncomfortable. Maybe even in your hands, maybe you're, you're thinking, oh, oh, that's disgusting. I don't want to touch it, which is fine. But if you want to learn to eat oranges, then you'll need to do that. Maybe you don't want to fight that fight. <laughs> like oranges aren't your thing, but maybe there's other foods that really do mean something to you. Maybe it's something creamy. Maybe it's something soupy. We actually have a guide called Food Play Every Day, and it has all these food activities. They're geared toward children, but often when the parents start doing the activities for the sake of the children, my guess is you, there are probably things you would do for your son that you would never do for yourself. Mm -hmm. So when you do it for him, often it starts to desensitize the parent's sensory system as well. It sounds like it's worth giving it a shot at least. Is there something, I guess, is it important for children to be exposed to different textures to help with the sensory so that we don't develop yeah. this kind of sensitivities earlier on? Absolutely. The earlier we can expose kids to textures, the better. So as they're weaning, as they're moving to table foods, whether you start that early, whether you start that, you know, a little bit later, moving them quickly off of purees is really important. And then as they are toddlers and eating, we just want to expose them to as many safe textures as possible. You don't want to be exposing toddlers to chunks of raw carrots. That's a choking hazard, but you can serve them other textures. They generally eat softer foods in that first year. And exposing them to the flavors and mm -hmm. the textures. That's important. Yeah, absolutely. Is that, is that the primary reason why there are picky eaters like lack of exposure or is it mostly the genetics? So there's a lot of things. I think there's, um, how long do you have? Do you have an hour? <laughs> I'm kidding. But I think, I think there's a genetic factor. There's also the medical factors and there's sensory factors as well. So there is a big food industry out there that is pushing pureed foods hard, right? They want you to not only serve pureed foods when your baby starts foods, but they want you to continue to serve pureed foods throughout their toddlerhood in the form of pouches or toddler meals. The thing is, kids were never meant to eat purees that long unless they have a feeding challenge. And so we've kind of been co-opted by that food industry that wants us to buy this really expensive baby food for our kids for long periods of time. So instead of doing that, we get them to table food as quickly as possible. Now, some people do that in the form of baby led weaning. Some people do that in the form uh, like what I did, which is I started with purees and we moved as quickly as we possibly could to table feeding. Um, so, you know, that happened within months. And 
then they're getting exposed to different flavors, textures, all that things. So there are some things in our society that are pushing this, um, this kind of picky eating phase, but that's not the only thing. The sensory component, it is also important. So often babies who have a sensory sensitivity, they actually don't like eating food at the beginning. They don't like having food on their faces. It predates even any exposure to food. So most babies, if you give them a safe finger food, or if you give them a puree, they'll engage with it. They'll probably eat some, they'll interact with it. But babies who have sensory sensitivities will not necessarily. A friend of mine called me and she said, we wanted to do baby led weaning, which is kind of the new hot thing to do um, that a lot of people make extensive claims about how it will prevent all picky eating and all this stuff, right? It'll solve all the world's problems. But she wanted, so they wanted to do baby led weaning and they started, but their child excessively gagged to the point of vomiting every single time. The child wouldn't, couldn't tolerate anything. The child was very distressed every single eating opportunity. And it turns out that child had some sensory sensitivities and they could see that right from the beginning at six months old. So they actually went back to like puree feeding. That was the only way they could get their child to engage with food at all. And then eventually they had to go to some more technical ways of um, like therapeutic ways of desensitizing their child's mouth and, and stuff like that. You know, those pouches, that was the only way when Aiden was a toddler that I could get him to eat vegetables. And mm -hmm. so I would go and I'd buy like the variety pack and he would even eat the ones with the peas and all that. And I felt really good about it. And then suddenly he hated them. Mm -hmm. So it's like, they're helpful. I mean, they were helpful to me, mm -hmm. but it seems to know that it kind of helped build his pickiness. Yeah. I mean, obviously I think he had a lot of challenges to begin with, right? Anytime a parent is saying the only way I can get my child to eat vegetables is through a pouch, you know, there's something going on. The pouches aren't necessarily causing the issue, but they're not, they're not, they're enabling it to continue. Right. So I think an important thing to keep in mind when we're working with our kids and ourselves is we're blaming ourselves for something, if we're blaming our kids for their picky eating, or we're blaming ourselves for being horrible parents, we can't really make progress. We have to just kind of accept that, yeah, we have a picky eater and I tried some things and they didn't work or <laughs> they worked in the short term, but now they're not working in the long term. We have to give ourselves that grace. Otherwise, we're not going to have the time, the energy, the mental headspace to actually move forward with these things. So, so yeah, kids get tired of pouches. And that I think is one of the biggest challenges when it comes to picky eaters is they only want one thing, but then they get tired of it. And then you lost like one of their main sources of nutrition when they get tired of it. Yeah. <laughs> Aiden like was binging pickles and then he's like, I hate pickles. <laughs> like, right. Right. And you're then you're like, oh my gosh, what am I going to feed you? <laughs> no more pickles. <laughs> um, two things that parents commonly do that I read in um, one of the articles on your Instagram um, to force their children to eat fruits and veggies is one, you know, make them sit there until they eat it. You're not going to get up until you eat it. And two, bribing your child with dessert 
Um, you want to talk about that, how that's actually, I guess, makes them more picky? Yeah. Well, I mean, think about it for a second. And maybe I'm the only stubborn one here. But if my parents said, you have to eat it, I would not eat it just despite them as a child. Or if they said, you have to sit here until you finish this. I mean, <laughs> I have a specific instance in mind where there was a cup there. My parents said, if you do not drink that milk, you cannot drink anything else for the entire meal. Better believe I did not drink anything else for the entire meal. I would have sat there for four hours before I drank that milk. Um, but here's the thing. Milk does not agree with my body whatsoever. And I'm sure it made me sick as a child. And that's why I didn't like it. And so they were really trying to force me to go against my body. Now, of course, they had the best intentions. They were not malicious in any way. My parents were great. Um, I think they wanted me to have strong bones and be healthy, right? But for me, it wasn't, it wasn't working. And by them trying to force me, I mean, I will not drink it. You could pay me $100 and I would not drink a glass of milk. <laughs> I am not even kidding. I will not touch it as an adult. And I think a lot of it stems back to that experience of you have to eat it, right? So when we tell our kids, you have to sit here, you have to do it, often we make them really dislike the food that we wish they would like to eat. Yeah. And then the dessert, that's the other tricky one, right? Yeah. And uh, I remember being, I mean, I was forced to eat things too as a child. Ask. And uh, I think it did make me hate it more. I and I remember eat. while eating it, just thinking like, I can't wait. So I'm an adult. I'm never going to eat this again. <laughs> So yes. kind of had the reverse effect. And then sure enough, I stood true to my word. <laughs> I never ate it again. Right. And I remember just, you know, I would sit there for a long time as well. And I would even like stick food in my pocket, say I had to go to the mm -hmm. restroom, flush it down the toilet. I mean, I hated it so much. Yeah. Right. That is exactly why there are stories of kids who would hold it in their mouth, flush it down the toilet spit it into the planter, spit it into the garbage can. I know one, one parent, she found this place where the kid had just been spitting food that she thought they had been eating. <laughs> like this really nasty pile of food somewhere hidden in the house. Here's the thing. We want our kids to like to eat food. And when we force them, often we end up in these very bizarre situations where kids are just pretending to eat and they're not liking the food and they're never going to eat it again and they hate it. Instead, we could just, we could let our ego go and say, oh, you don't have to eat it. Because here's the thing, when your child sits down at the table and you say, oh, I don't care if you eat it. And then you pretend that you really don't care. You pretend hard <laughs> and you don't look at them and you just enjoy your meal. So many times they actually eat the food yeah. that they said they didn't like, didn't want, and they were not hungry for. And next thing you know, they're eating it. Your page really helped me with that. And even like when Andrew and I got together, I'd be like, I made you the smoothie. And he'd be like, what's in it? I'm like, just bananas, just, you know, and he'd be like, can't drink that. And I'd be like, just drink it, you know? And then like mm -hmm. he said, we'd go to my family's and they'd say, you're not going to eat anything. And they'd give me that look. And I'd be like, I don't know, you know? Mm -hmm. And I would get kind of frustrated and your page helped me understand it's not a character flaw because if he wanted to, he would eat it. Like if he could, he would, I know he wants to. And I know that Aiden wants to. So here like in the last year or so when people say stuff to him about it, I'm like, what do you care what he eats? 
what's it to you? You know, what do you care? Like really like strikes a chord with me. Mm -hmm. And also on your page, I learned don't push it. So seriously, now I just like, won't even look at him. I'm just like, okay, whatever, eat it or don't. And then he tries it. Right. Often when you're not looking at the kid, because for a, for an anxious eater, a kid who is stressed out by the sensory experience or the pressure or whatever, when they're anxious, they can't actually eat. People, people often go, oh, that's just mental stuff. Blah, blah, mental health. That's like, you know, whatever it is. But here's the thing. Anxiety is a real reaction in your body. So when a child is anxious, their body produces less saliva, their throat constricts, their taste goes down. All sorts of things happen that make it literally more difficult to eat or even painful depending on how tight their throat constricts. So the more anxious they are, the less ability they actually have to eat. This isn't something that's just like, oh, it's just happening in your mind. It's an actual physiological reaction to something that happened. So if if you look at something on your plate and it looks like live slugs, unless you're from a culture that eats live slugs, you may be disgusted. If there were live slugs on my plate, wiggling around, I would be disgusted and I might be anxious that they were in front of that which would make me less able to actually eat. And because of that, I would not be able to eat other things either because my body has gone into a uh, fight or flight reaction, Mm. right? And I'm ready to either kill the slugs or run away from the slugs, but I am not in a position where my body could eat the slugs. That's such a good point. And I've been through that myself and I can remember specifically. So it's almost like a, it's almost like a panic as you're being forced mm-hmm. and you can feel yourself start to, you know, breathe heavy. So you're getting ex- extremely anxious and then you're hyper aware. So you taste it, the texture, you feel it twice as much. And I remember one time being forced to eat a piece of lettuce and I was just sitting there panicking, you know, the whole time, like, all right. And finally I stuck it in my mouth, but because I could feel it and taste it so much, as soon as it made a crunch noise, I just threw up. I was just, Oh my gosh. Just in a state of panic over it. It wasn't that yes. in front of your whole, like at a table. Yes. Cause they were like, you're going to eat it. Oh you're going to eat gosh. it. Just, didn't you just go all over the Oh table? yeah. I lost it. Uh, I, my heart goes out to you because, <laughs> and I'm telling you, you could literally be a, poster child for what happens when you try to force a picky eater to eat. It's outside of your control. So much of it. And I feel like as like, we need to help parents understand that they're, it's not a character defect. It's not your fault that a crunch of a lettuce made you throw up, right? It's not some sort of character defect on your part, but so many parents think it is. I know that some parents have have said, well, when I was growing up, I had to eat it and it didn't hurt me. The reality is, is that, yeah, when you were growing up, your parent probably was, you know, out there beating you to make <laughs> you eat it. That's the other side of that. Yeah. Um, and we're not going to recommend that. That <laughs> is absolutely ridiculous. And also parent, like parents say, oh, and I turned out fine. 
but then they don't admit to all the foods they won't eat or the fact that they can't eat the right amount for their body, that they're eating too little or they're eating too much for their body and they're not comfortable in their body and they have all these health problems related to food because they had a really messed up relationship with it as a child. Yeah, they're not fine. Right. They're not, they're not <laughs> fine. And they will complain about that in other contexts, but then they never yeah. associate that with maybe what was happening around the dinner table That's on a regular true. basis. Do you watch Parks and Recreation or have you ever seen it? I've seen it a few times. Yeah. Okay. So there's the scene where Ron Swanson tries to eat a banana and he's like, he's like, like, not, like he can't even just put it near his mouth because he'll start just gagging. That's right. how, you need to watch right. that, just that scene. But that's how he is with anything. He'll just like get close and he'll be like, mm. like he can't right. do it. <laughs> right. And that's, that's how why, you know, we, when we're recommending things to families of pig eaters, we really recommend starting with just looking at it. You don't have to put that near your face to be Because that's a lot. If I were to shove something like a head of lettuce in your face. It sounds like you wouldn't <laughs> appreciate that. So, so instead I would make a salad in the kitchen and maybe you could hear the crunch in there as opposed to me shoving lettuce in your face and asking you to take bites of it. You know, we have to meet our kids where they're at and adults too. We gotta, we gotta meet ourselves. We gotta meet people where we're at because otherwise it's just too much. You, you overwhelm your system. And like you said, you had this full panic and then you threw up. Whereas if someone had just put a piece of lettuce on the table, you may have been uncomfortable, but you wouldn't have panicked. Yeah. I mean, and it feels like such a silly problem to have. It's hard not to feel embarrassed about it really. Mm -hmm. But I wonder if that's why you hate lettuce so much because of that experience. Probably. <laughs> I would. <laughs> I mean, I, if I don't know if you've ever had the experience of throwing up a specific food, but there are certain foods that I cannot eat because I once threw them up. Were you a picky eater? I was, I do remember for years picking various things out of my food. And there are certain textures that I can't eat, like the kind of raw-ish onion. Ooh, I will still, as an adult, pick them out for the most part. I can handle a little bit, but more than a little bit. And I just too much for me, that texture. <laughs> was your son eating more than five foods or what, like, what was he doing? Yeah. So my first son, um, just tends to not eat enough. He's not necessarily picky. My second son is much more selective. He's always eaten more than five foods, but honestly, we have lived out the kids eating color and what I call the better bites methods. It's the name of the the pig eating program. So we have been living those out because we put them together for our first son to help him eat the right amount for his body. And then the second one just kind of grew into the system. Now we don't follow it perfectly. We are 100% human, but as a professional, I can see the signs that he could be an extremely picky eater. I could see so many of the signs, but he's not and I really do credit that to the best practices that we were able to implement and that we continue to try to implement. Um, and like I said, we've never, ever been perfect about this, but you don't have to be perfect to see progress for your child or have less anxiety and less stress at mealtime. There's a lot of things that 
us parents do that certainly don't help this matter very much. And I wanted to ask you, what do you think about people letting their children drink sodas? Oh, great question. So here's the thing about sodas. If they're really, really, really hard on their teeth. Um, you know, dental caries or cavities are one of the top diseases of kids. And we don't do soda for that reason. And there's a lot of other reasons I don't do it either. I don't appreciate soda companies and the way that they have marketed themselves around the world. And I, I, for me, because my uh, background is my training is really in public health. Uh, we look at the big picture of things and the things that soda companies do to get themselves into communities where they know there are vulnerable parents who are vulnerable to their marketing and the way that they market to communities of color. I just can't support that, the way that they are doing that. At the same time, I know that some families, soda plays a big role in their culture. And so I'm never going to sit here. I will never sit here and critique someone else's culture. Um, but we do have to kind of think critically about how is this affecting kids' health. So soda is maybe one of, maybe like the only thing, like I will never, ever, ever, and even with this, I'm not a good food, bad food person. I think every food has their purpose. And, you know, you go into a community that doesn't have clean water. Sometimes soda is your best option. But we have to, we have to look at what's happening and how we're being convinced to give soda to our kids. It, so I have one of my kids had um, cavities at the age of two. Now, we never gave him soda, and he rarely had juice, and he didn't have anything. Uh, we never put him to bed with a bottle, but he ended up with bottle rot. And um, it's still a mystery. <laughs> it's still a mystery how that happened. Um, but the bottom line from that experience is having your small child have to go to the hospital and be under anesthesia and have surgery to have caps put on your teeth. That is a real, that is a real challenge to overcome emotionally as a parent, not to mention the risk to the child. I mean, it was really a worst case scenario to have my child go through that. Um, and if I could, if I can help any parent avoid having their child have to go through that, I would absolutely, I would absolutely do it. Soda is the main cause of cavities, sodas and gummies, actually, hmm. gummy candies. So, you know, are they bad foods? Are they bad foods? Necessarily, but they do have a lot of bad outcomes and they're not consumed very, very cautiously. Yeah, so, it seems like it's one of the yeah. primary sources of weight gain as well, because a lot of times I see people lose weight and they're like, dude, I just stopped drinking soda. Like mm -hmm. that was it. Yeah, we, we have a lot of friends who had that as well. And not just the weight. When, when you're drinking a concentrated sugar like that, it actually kind of messes up your blood sugar mm -hmm. and you feel crappy. Like the, the way that you feel is just not that good. So generally what I recommend is if soda is not a big part of your culture, then 
don't buy it. Don't drink it for your kids. Don't eat it. You know, maybe you're the sort of family that's like, hey, we always have pizza and soda on at our once a month event. Okay, that is your culture. That do your culture, right? But if you're the sort of family who saying, oh, I don't know, we just have soda in the house and it doesn't mean that much to us, then take it out. That would be a great thing to take out that would have a direct impact on your health and your children's health in an amazing way. Bringing water in and teaching your kids to drink water is probably perhaps one of the most impactful things you could do for your child's health is teaching them to drink water. Because uh, that can be challenging in different communities. Now, if your family is like, well, we have these events and we all have to have a can of something in our hand, um, you could explore some different options. There's sparkling juices. There's there's ones like Spindrift that have just a tiny bit of juice in them. There are different flavored waters. Um, I know that's like an exploding industry right now is flavored water. So I think there are some alternatives that are kind of coming out on the market. You have to try them out. I know there's there's tons of internet memes on different sorts of sparkling waters and how good they do or don't taste. So things like that. But I think we really do need to find alternatives to soda if we want to be healthy long-term. I think that's just the bottom line. That's just it. You know, I always yeah. think it's so funny because so growing up, we like as kids, we were allowed to drink coffee and tea. And mm -hmm. you could have coffee and tea with your grandparents drinking, you know, having like a dessert and you have coffee in the morning, you have coffee in the afternoon. So my son, when he wants coffee, he really likes pumpkin spice latte. So around that time of year, I get him pumpkin spice latte and people will say, you let him have coffee. And I say, yeah, I let him have coffee. Now we try to make our pumpkin spice latte at home. So it's not full of sugar. Right. Because mm -hmm. I think that's the bad thing with coffees these days. I think it's all of the sweeteners in it and the syrups and the whipped cream, but those same parents, I see their kids walking around with the Dr. Pepper I'm thinking you really think that that's oh better gosh. than the coffee because coffee right. to me is just a bean. Like it's just a bean. The problem is the sugar, you know, and, and the caffeine, you know, so I try to go for a decaf for him, but See, coffee will just put me to sleep, I think, because I built up such a tolerance to it probably. Mm -hmm. But it, and, and Coke, people use that to eat rust off of their car battery and they give it to their kids. And that blows my mind. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So many different, so many different cultures do so many different things. Like you grew up drinking coffee. That's your culture. And that's what you're passing on to your kid. And there are people in other cultures that are absolutely horrified. I mean, some kids in different cultures grow up drinking like wine or <laughs> things where well, it's like illegal here. Right. Um, and, and I think, I think the, the thing that we always have to keep in mind is different cultures are doing different things. And also there are some communities, like you look at different communities that have been really abused, like in Appalachia and the water supplies have been contaminated by the mining or different things that have gone on. As a result of that, or in cities where the water supply was damaged and there's lead in the water supply and things like that, in those communities, one of the ways that those communities have enabled safe, like safety, the safety of their children is they have learned to serve more soda and or Coke. Um, 
I know I, we once had on Instagram a conversation about soda. And somebody said, oh yeah, in our community, it is very common. It is like the standard to put soda in the baby's bottle. And that is that is a common part of the culture in different communities in the United States. Part of that is the soda companies coming in, advertising to parents, sponsoring all the events in the community and encouraging this, right? They've gone into communities all over the world where people don't understand the effects of sugar on teeth and things like that. And they just like introduce it. And next thing you know, you come back five years later and all the kids' teeth have rotted out in the communities as a result of the soda because they never had, their indigenous diets didn't require the sort of tooth care that is required if you have soda in your diet. So I think there's just, there's so much, there's so much here. What are the claims for encouraging parents to give soda to their children? So I think they are marketing on emotion, right? If you want to have a healthy family, soda's on the table, right? And so you're seeing these pictures in commercials of families, of the baby, and you know, maybe they show a picture of the grandparents bringing a meal to the new new parents. And of course they have Coke there, right? And so they have instilled in everyone's mind and in the culture that soda needs to be there to have a family event, to have a party, to, to do this or that or the other thing. Yeah, it seems like one of those things, too, you could go on and on about different conspiracies, but there's definitely a lack of information in regards to nutrition, vitamins, and just generally taking care of yourself. Yeah, that's that's true. There And there's a lot of misinformation out there, too. There's, you know, we, there is so much weight stigma. You know, people are categorized by their weight so often. And the diet culture that has been in the industry that has kind of grown up around that is so big and so deep that we don't even know what's correct and what's not correct when it comes to information because we're being bombarded with crazy information all the time. Drink this tea and it'll make you thin. There is no tea that you can drink to make you thin. That is not a real thing. And those teas actually just cause diarrhea. And that's, that's <laughs> why you might lose a pound or two. Um, instant in results, water. at least. <laughs> right. So, you know, well, we want to hear that so bad. We want to hear, oh, there's something I could do. There's some quick fix. There's something. I'm telling you, there's no tea that's going to do that to you. But that also trickles down to all these other things. You can't be healthy unless you eat organic food. You, uh, you know, carbohydrates are bad. Protein is bad and all animal products are bad. <laughs> Beans are bad. I recently, I know somebody who went on this diet where I don't know what they eat, but they're not allowed to eat beans and they're not allowed to eat meat. And they're not, <laughs> that's like, I don't know. Too much. We have somebody we know that their diet, it started out of the nowhere. Um, I don't want to call him out on the podcast, but no, don't do that. <laughs> he does we're all like, what do you eat? Like, because it's, it's no meat, it's no oil, it's not certain mm -hmm. grains. It's mm -hmm. not. And so we're like, I don't know who convinced him or who told him that that's what he needs to be eating. And I feel like 
there is a line that where you cross over into it's such a stress and such an anxiety to eat so healthy, so clean that I think it, in my mind, it also becomes like an eating disorder, like, because mm -hmm. it's so much stress and anxiety that you can't allow yourself to eat a little, you know, a little something. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's called orthorexia and it is an eating disorder and it's a real thing. And people who have it, you know, there's some, there's some people that are like, oh, that's such a great eating disorder to have. They don't realize how that affects somebody because when somebody is so afraid that every single food is going to hurt them or every single food is going to be poison, then they can't actually eat what they need to thrive. And it can trickle down to your kids. I see this a lot in parents. They're so obsessed with their child eating perfectly that they're not allowing their child to even participate in, in like day-to-day -day activities. Their child can't go to a birthday party and eat a piece of cake. Leave their child. Up. Yeah. And, and it's really tricky when you're so obsessed with nutrition that you can't be flexible at all. In fact, as a dietitian, we see all sorts of interesting things. And I know someone who had a parent who was so obsessed with clean eating that they had removed so many foods from the child's diet that the child literally was malnourished, mm. like actually at risk of, wow. um, and in that particular case, I actually had to bring in child protective services yeah, that was because the child be, was being starved. Yeah. Um, that now that is an extreme case, but that mom had an extreme form of orthorexia and that's what we see. And, and then of course you, that's extreme, right? And the not extreme is people who can't allow anything in their house. Like, oh my gosh, my child had, had a cookie and they say things like, oh, this is poison. We can't be calling cookies poison. I get we it. just, we just can't. I, I can't get on board with that message. A cookie is not poison. It's very different. Um, yeah, relax a little bit. Calm down. Think about what happens to the child's mental state or the things that they start to form when they hear those things. Right. Fear of food. Yeah. Is unhealthy to start. And then you, you pair that with a picky eater and then you really have challenges. Oh, yeah. So you have picky eaters who are going to school. They're already struggling with enough foods to actually nourish themselves. Maybe they have 10, 15, 20 foods. Then they go to school and the school says, these are healthy foods. These are unhealthy foods. And the child sees some of their safe foods on the unhealthy list. And then they come home and they say, I can't eat that. It's unhealthy. That happened with us. Uh, Aiden started looking at calories and we were like, whoa, like you don't worry about calories. <laughs> like, yeah, you don't, you don't look at the calories. You, there's a, a balance, you know, you eat what you should be eating that strengthens your food. That's good for your brain. And then there's room in there for you to have little treats and stuff like that. There's no counting calories. We don't count calories. So we don't want right. him to be, you know, to be worried about that. I like to tell kids because they do start to read labels and stuff. I like to tell kids that calories are the amount of energy that's in food <laughs> and that you need energy to grow, to do anything actually. They're really an essential thing. I think, you know, kids can very easily pick up this idea that calories are bad because mm -hmm. of things that they've heard in the yep. media or from relatives. Yep. 
And we really have to get away from that. We really have to get away from it and just be really clear. Calories are energy and we absolutely need energy to live. I want to talk about your business because I think it's the coolest. I, I, I love seeing how people have grown something so big. So you went through this thing with your son and then you started incorporating your, your education and raising your son and helping him progress through these phases of picky eating. Right. And then you said, I'm going to post it on Instagram. How did that go? No, I, I just felt lonely in that. I didn't know anybody else that was having as hard a time. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I can at least help another parent. Maybe there's somebody else out there who I can help. I'm a dietitian. I know some things that could be helpful. And I've worked really hard at this. And and I'm also making these cute preschool lunches to entice him to eat something at preschool. So somebody said, you should start an Instagram page. So I did. <laughs> and, and so I just did it casually. I didn't have any intentions whatsoever. It was purely, hey, maybe I can help you. It was very much focused on the community and learning about social media. And then it kind of took off. And it became kind of a very large thing, right? Where I was working full-time on Instagram and also working full-time at my job. Oh, wow. And, and also having, you know, two mm -hmm. kids and all that fun. So eventually it got to the point of where I said, I, I just can't, I can't do both anymore and I can't leave my people. So I have to find a way to support my family and be there for my people, my kids eating color people. And that's when I started actually like developing the Better Bites program and Real Easy Weekdays, which is our meal plan for busy families. And now kids eating color is bigger than me. Mm -hmm. It's, um, you know, the world needs somebody to say, hey, you're doing a great job. And also here are some tips that you can use when you're feeling really burnt out and at your wit's end. And so Kids Eating Color now is really a, a company of people. We have occupational therapists. We have a child psychologist. We have um, somebody else. Oh, an education specialist and more. We're onboarding a doctor, a pediatrician, so that we can really speak to all the challenges that parents are facing when it comes to feeding kids and really helping moms and dads get on board because most pages are geared towards moms and we are really working on the upcoming. We are really working on solutions that actually can speak to dads as well. That's huge because I see so much that I just feel like moms feel responsible for everything. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is that, that most things are directed to the mom um, mm -hmm. and dads should probably have a lot more representation in there and feel more included. Yeah. So, I mean, the reality is dads don't want to be watching Instagram stories and see me talking to them for 10 minutes. Um, it's, just, it's just the reality. I mean, my husband doesn't want to see me on my Instagram stories for 10 minutes either. Um, I don't think that is a character defect. It's just the reality that dads learn in a different way than moms learn, but nobody is taking the time or making the effort to create stuff that makes sense to both moms and dads. So we're really 
taking kids eating color from, hey, it's me with an Instagram page to something that's a lot bigger that's designed to not just be there for moms. You know, we're here for all parents, whatever their situation, when the, whether they're at the bottom of the, of the pile feeling like nothing is going right and they have no capacity and they're feeding their kids nuggets every single day and they feel like a failure for that. We're there for that mom and dad. And we're also there for the parents who are like, Hey, I'm killing it. Like, this is great. I'm on top of things. I'm following your meal plan and I'm loving it. You know, we're here for the parents, no matter how they feel and no matter what they're feeding their kids. And I think, I think the world needs that. I think we need each other. Yeah. That's Uh, that's awesome. We definitely need that. Every, a lot of people need that. When did you start posting on Instagram? January, 2017. And when did you start seeing it? You were like, wait a second, this is something, this is something big. In July of 2018, I had 10,000 followers and I thought, well, this is either the end or it's the beginning because I was spending a lot of time on it and I wanted to spend a little less time potentially. Instead, I ended up spending way more, but I felt like I needed to change what I was doing. So I made some changes to what I was doing. And that fall, it really began to take off. Um, And then it was really in 2019 that things kind of took on a mind of their own. How many hours were you spending, would you say, while you were still employed on Instagram? 40. I mean, I put my heart and soul into that Instagram page. And when I say that, I'm like, like literally, (laughs) I mean, because you were coming in, you had to probably like plan, plan meals and take the pictures to look really nice. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, um, nightmarish at times, (laughs) Wow. but I was, I mean, I responded to every comment on every post. I answered every single DM. I, I, you know, put so much time into my captions and really pouring out everything that I had because, you know, it's, to me, it's never been like, yeah, it's a business, but it was never, it was not a business to me at that time. I never, when I started, I never imagined that it could even support my family. So the fact that it grew to the point that I said, you know, I can't keep, I had a great job. It was like paid really well. I had the ultimate flexibility. I worked from home. I could kind of, kind of set my own hours. Um, if something happened, I can make up my hours. I mean, I had so much flexibility. It, it wasn't a super hard job. I never had to work more than 40 hours a week. And so I had always said, I, why would I ever leave this job? <laughs> it turns out I would leave that job for my people, right? I would leave that job for the moms and the dads who are struggling feeding their kids because I couldn't, I couldn't step away from that. Um, and, and I'm glad I didn't because now I think there's so much opportunity for, for doing things that nobody else will do. Like we did affordable flavors, which is a meal plan for families who are struggling with their budget. So how do you feed your family on $500 a month or less? That's like no small task and nobody would fund a project like that. 
I mean, it was very expensive to put that together. I brought together a diverse team of dietitians. It was the by far the most complicated project I have ever been a part of as a dietitian. How do you bring in flavor, different people, different cuisines together into one meal plan and tell a family, here's how you feed your family for $500 or less per month, family of four, three meals, two snacks a day, right? I mean, that is a real challenge, but that's what real people need because so many families lost their jobs, struggling with COVID, all this stuff. So, you know, that tipping color really looks for opportunities to meet real parents where not Instagram parents. I mean, yeah, parents were on Instagram, but not like those fancy mm-hmm. kitchen Instagram parents, like real parents who are struggling, who are wondering how do I feed my family on this super tight budget? Or how do I feed my family when I have a really picky eater? Or how do I feed my family when I'm super depressed and cannot pull myself out of bed? Like we're here for all the families and um, to help them. Okay. So Instagram changes all the time. And from 2017 to now it's changed so much. What would you say to somebody that is looking to launch a brand or a business on Instagram today in 2021? care about your people. That is always my number one. You got to be there for your people. You can't be there for money. You can't be there. I mean, yeah, you can, you can launch it's There's nothing wrong with launching a a product, but you have to know your people. What do your people need? If you can't, you know, it's really all about relationships. It's not about the size of your audience. It is not about, um, anything. It really has to be about that. You have to show up for your people. You have to give them your absolute best and solve their problems and care, right? I mean, we've all been on Instagram pages where it's so clear that they don't care about you whatsoever. They don't, they just don't care. It's all about them and it's all about their ads and it's all about their products. Do they really care about you? Do they even know what your problems are? You know, you have to be there for your people. Otherwise, I really think. Like there's no point, you know, life is too short to just be trying to get money out of people. I love that. Yeah. I can tell how passionate you are about kids eating color. I am. I eat, breathe, live, sleep this. Uh, You you can hear it in your voice. I love it. Jennifer, it's been so, so much fun. I've loved this conversation. Thank you again so much for your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Oh, oh, real quick. quick, Yeah. Where can everybody find you? Oh, kidseatingcolor.com. And all the social medias, you know? Okay. Okay. We'll link it in the show notes. Sounds good.